0: I can work with this.
1: Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, so I can't afford to be. here. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and today I'm uh, I'm at a remote location. Uh, we've only done this uh, twice before, as you know. We were at Martha Quinn's house. We were at Fee Webel's house. And now I am uh, pleased to be in the recording studio of Mr. Stuart Copeland, who will join me right now. Hello, Stuart.
0: Hello. Welcome to the Sacred <laughs> Grove.
2: <laughs> this is... Uh, Stuart agreed to let me take some photos before I leave here, but uh, this is an amazing space. I mean, there's not just drums here. There's
0: everything. I have the world's largest collection of the cheapest instruments <laughs> that money can buy. There's a, there's a hat. There's a mini gong. There's, there's I got cello. Toys. I got trombone. I got tuba. I got several different flavors of tuba. Saxophone, timpani. There's a there's a picture of Sting and
2: his wife Trudy uh, coming up as, as a screensaver.
0: Yes, <laughs> And they're doing yoga. Uh, and, and then and then just there's to remind me of what I'm missing.
2: What you're missing. Yeah, uh, yeah but this is incredible. I, I mean, my producers are going to be so bummed that they couldn't uh, that they couldn't be here today. Well, you can take pictures. Like, okay.
0: Well, you can see it on YouTube, the Sacred Grove, you know, Snoop Dogg at the Sacred Grove, Neil Peart, whatever, Stanley (laughs) Clark at the Sacred Grove. People come over here. And and, jam. And jam. And uh, since I'm basically myself, a glorified roadie, I have it all wired up. Every amp is wired up. I I got it DI'd and a microphone on it. The drums are mic'd up. The timpani is mic'd up. So when my chuckle buddies come over, I just hit (laughs) one big red record button uh, and the whole room is in record, every square foot of it, whether there's somebody playing that right. instrument or not.
2: And it's so funny that uh, the, the the equipment that I bring over today it's it's actually insulting to your uh, senses I assume.
0: I respect your equipment.
2: <laughs> I pack it's, it up. I compact. put it. In, I put it in a plastic crate and I. Uh, and I wait you set out, it up
0: yourself. I wait outside until the
2: time when I'm allowed to buzz myself in,
0: and here we are. Well, it's a mini train set. The studio is a giant train yes. set, and my buddies who come over they're the trains. Now but me, this is a giant train set, and you got your little rig here, which is kind of cool. Little, I got my little board. I used to carry that around on tour. I'd have a of a, a, a rig that I could unfold in my hotel room just right. rather like this. I mean we, we I've listened to podcasts before that don't sound
2: good and we like ours to sound great. So that's why we have the, the, the music and we have the the board and we have you our have got your Alesis
0: our, Multimix 12 <laughs> Firewire. Right.
2: We have our Bose headphones yeah. uh, that were given to us by Bose. What do you know? How about that? Bose the sound. <laughs> Uh, the, how, how proficient are you on Because uh, I'm seeing tons of instruments How Other than the can drums Can I play them all? No. Yeah, can, no
0: I can play most of them And I can play as much as I need on most of them Which is only a couple notes You know, with Undo um, And Pro Tools and Digital Performer mm-hmm. I only need two notes on that trombone And then I line up the tape For the next two notes that I might need You know, da, da, da Okay, Undo da. Da-da-da. Undo. Da-da-da. Okay. Do. Next, next two notes that I do. do. All right. Okay. Cool. And so all the only one that I can't really play is the bassoon over there. That is the weirdest instrument of the collection. You know, the saxophones, the flutes, um, the oboes, and they, they uh, are not the oboe, but the, the, most of the instruments. They all have the same kind of structure. Right. The bassoon is an alien from another planet with weird holes in it and strange fingering that doesn't relate to any other known instrument.
2: But when you're, but you you have all these instruments because when your chuckle buddies come over. Uh,
0: they, oh, they have something they to pick, play. Yeah, they pick them up, and well, when they first come over, my kind of chuckle buddies tend to be the kind who pick up the guitar, bass, and drums. Mm-hmm. And Neil Peart comes over here, and he gets on the drums, and nothing's going to get him off the drums. I, uh, it, and so, but then we do the fifteen-minute jam, and we all we kick our ass, we blow our minds. Wow, we rock! We is, rock us. And then, <laughs> then I do the playback, where I play it play it back. And mm-hmm. what musician doesn't love playback? Right. And so, as it's playing back, then I hand them that trombone there, that tuba here, that saxophone over there and I get them to all air do a brass section air brass section and anyone can do that there's no sound coming out, but we're all hamming it up and the cameras are going by the way I have six cameras around the room which are in record with six hours of memory and so I've got the film I can overdub film so I got Neil on the drums but now he's on the trombone same shot the cameras haven't moved so I can overdub visually Okay, so he's there going, poof, 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 poof. And then later on, I can figure out what it looks like he was playing and figure out that what mm-hmm. he looked like he was playing was da-da-da. <laughs> and I go and add that later. I overdub that later.
2: So we can go online. We can see Neil Peart play uh, not on a, a gigantic uh, concert set, but just... No, you can see him playing on, on, this on this drum one right set right, over right
0: here. here. Actually, no, one time Neil... Parrot and Danny Carey came over, so I had two drum sets in here. In fact, what happened was, Tama gave me another drum set. Mm. You know, the new drum set arrives. Oh, cool, let's set it up. Well, I didn't want to get rid of my studio (laughs) kit, which is locked into the room, you know. Uh, So I set it up there, and I said, well, I need some serious drummers to aggress upon these. And so I called up Danny and Neil. They both came over and blasted away on the drums. Two sets of drums in here uh, while I got to play guitar.
2: And when you say locked into the room, you mean that is the perfect, spot for that drum set to be in this room for yeah. the best sound.
0: Well, it's like at Motown, uh, the studios over there in Detroit, you go in there and there's a drum set there. That's the drum set. It's sitting there. It. It's mic'd up. That's it. If you want a different drum set, get a different studio. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah.
2: But now, when did uh, was the drums, was that your first instrument or did you start on piano or something else? The first instrument was trombone,
0: but the house was full of instruments. Mm-hmm. I was the youngest of four. My father was a jazz trumpet player. Uh, before he joined the cia and did all that um but he was fundamentally a musician nice and so he filled the house with instruments hoping that his children would pick them up none of them did uh so he kept he
2: kept having to have children until one of them finally one of them came
0: up and pick up this instrument yeah most of them were broken by then or i soon broke them (laughs) um and the trombone the piano and uh, the drums i a friend of mine had a had a had a, a catalog a book hmm. a, a brochure of Slingerland drums. Oh man, those gleaming <laughs> shiny things with, I just like, oh, I love that. And um so the drums kind of s- struck first, but it could have easily have been guitar.
2: And let me ask you about since we're talking about drums, of course, why wouldn't we be. But uh of your peers, who who do you really admire? Who do you look up to or who do you think, "Oh, I wish I was that good?"
0: Uh well, uh Mitch Mitchell and Buddy Rich. Are the two main guys who do stuff that I'm. I'd have to do a little practice to figure that mm-hmm. out. But most everybody else, I've sort of figured out what they do. And in fact, with Mitch and Buddy, I know what they're doing. I could do that, but the way they do it with such alacrity, with such you know ownership, it's, uh, sometimes the sound is
2: just in your blood, yeah, and you can't yeah. pass that along to anyone. Well, the it's stuff I got be...
0: in my blood is different, <laughs> right? Uh, but, of course, but I have stolen chops from both of those guys.
2: How many times do you, a week do you sit down at that set and play?
0: It depends. If I've got a show coming up, mm-hmm. such as uh, one of my shows with Orchestra like Ben Hur or mm-hmm. Tyrant's Crush, where I'm going to go and sit in front of 60 guys and play this piece. Yeah. Uh, I will work it up. You know It used to take me a month. Actually, I find now I can get it up in uh, a week, a week, because I don't even look at the drums mm-hmm. until I need to. And I've discovered that this is a very good thing, lying fallow, as it were. Because I stopped playing for 10 years and I didn't even look at the drums. And then when I got a call from Les Claypool saying, Dude, it's your civic duty (laughs) to play drums. To play drums. Okay. And he dragged me back. And it took a while to get the chops back. It really did. Yeah. But then I discovered that they came back better. And then there was another hiatus for right. one reason or another, and I had to work it back up again, and I discovered that the drums came, the, the chops came back better. So every time I put it down and go back to it, I'm, f- I'm sort of somehow fresh in a certain way, and I have a, an eagerness to develop those, those uh, rudiments and those exercises and all those little mechanical mm-hmm. details that make it real easy to just blast. Uh, they come back better.
2: Well, that's good, too, because if they didn't come back better, we wouldn't be sitting here with you today uh, talking about Gizmo Drum.
0: Yeah, well... Because you wouldn't,
2: y- your chops would be gone, and no, oh, one, well, can, now the no chop-
0: one would want to work with you. Well, the chops are up fine, <laughs> yes. but now I'm on guitar.
2: That's right. You're, you're singing in this band.
0: Yeah. Which on the is- record, actually, I'm not on guitar in the band. I wrote the songs on guitar, but Mr. Baloo, Adrian Baloo, he does the guitar he's playing. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's got it covered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now but on when, stage, on stage, I am going to rise up to the front of the stage. With the I, I read you said
2: you're, you're, gonna, you're not going to Don Henley,
0: you're going to Dave Grohl. Oh, yeah, baby. Now, when and I In fact, I learned this directly from Dave. He, he called me up and invited me to play a song with a school charity function they yeah. were doing, and he wanted to do a Clark Kent song. So I went down there with my guitar and sang and played the, the guitar thing with the Foo Fighters as the band. That was cool. That gave me a little which, taste.
2: Which Clark Kent song did you do? I hope I have that one queued up. Do you uh, know which one?
0: Excesses. Damn it. I doubt it. It's not one of the hits. I don't have that one queued up.
2: I have it. No, but to, to you have that
0: experience, up. and I'm looking in the rehearsal, I went down there, I brought my three t-shirts for rehearsal, as you do as a drummer, <laughs> and I look back and, you know, there's Taylor working, mm-hmm. chopping wood, and I'm, I didn't get through one t-shirt. As a guitarist. And I I say to all your listeners who are drummers out Mm -hmm. there, this is my new discovery, folks. I strap on a guitar, and guess what I found out? Check out your next rehearsal. Okay, guys? How many times does your guitarist change his T-shirt? Huh? Once? Well, Taylor doesn't even wear a shirt, probably. Because it's soaking wet, because the guy's working. (laughs) The Foo Fighters are the greatest. I mean... They are. And a great hang, too.
2: They seem like nice guys. I've actually ran into uh, Nate... Uh, at, a, at a tennis club yep. once, and I've and I've run into
0: well, um, anywhere you run into Nate. As a matter of fact, you I ran know. into him in a tennis court. You said, "Yeah, yeah." I ran into him over at um, um, the guy uh, Probes, uh, Jeff Probes, Jeff's Probes house. Yeah, from Survivor. My, yeah, and I'm a big Survivor fan, yeah. and I couldn't believe it at that Foo Fighters gig. Uh, Jeff was there. And I'd been watching this show for 20 years. Yeah. And my God, it's him. And I look over and I, I do a double take. And he looks over at me and does a double take. And great season this year, man. And he lights up and says, immediately, we're deep in. Yeah. And the guy's been doing this show for 20 years. And he, he completely enthusiastic. And any doubt that the show is pre-canned, yeah. pre-written. And no, no, no. Just talk well, to this guy. And you realize what a crusader I know, he is. I
2: know for a fact it isn't. Because I think it was two seasons ago, uh, my friend David Wright went to the final three. Yeah, and he was phenomenal. Yeah. He was uh, He was the skinny guy that was afraid of everything. Did you watch that season? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah the skinny guy who was afraid of it and actually yeah. went a long way. Yes. He went to the final three. So, yeah. and he was, he was... Well, usually they take a goat. <laughs> yeah, they do. They, they don't know the what's going to happen. The final three, one yeah. of them is a no-hoper. Uh, and that's why he's there. Right.
2: Right. Um, so where, where are we? were we? I'm all over the place. Okay, Gizmodrome. So when I picked this, when I saw the lineup of this CD, I assumed that
0: Mark King would be doing all the lead vocals. I think that's a common assumption. In yeah. fact, a common expectation. There's, ex- there's,
2: but, but no, because I do. I like, I like your singing voice. I think it's cool. Oh, I really shucks. do. But... Um, but yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, great. I'll, yeah, I see who's on. Uh, I see who's on guitar. I see who's on drums. I see who's on bass and vocals, obviously. And uh, and I don't know. I did not know Vittorio.
0: Well, Vittorio Cosma is our secret weapon. There you go. He's Italian. Wait a minute. uh, That's an Italian name (laughs) and he's huge in Italy. He's a major musical force in Italy He's a major conductor arranger when the Italian government wants to do their May parade thing and Mm -hmm. they have a huge orchestra They call Vittorio. He's the high concept big orchestra conductor. He also in the studios He does a lot of film scores commercials and stuff He's got he's like a, a an Italian Hans Zimmer And so we recorded a lot of our album at his studios the Cosmodrome in Italy in Italy and, um, but he also has to, he must rock also. He totally rocks. He was in a band called PFM, which I'd never heard of. But no, i never heard of PFM but either. Which, um, you know, Adrian Ballou had heard of it. He was a big fan of PFM. Um, and it's it's a very obscure Italian Prague rock band that actually made some waves that I wasn't aware of wow. at the time. But uh, people like Adrian Ballou are like fans of this mystical Italian band. They're sort of like the Italian craft work.
2: There's so much music out there. It's, it's nice to hear that even a Stuart Copeland doesn't know everything that's been uh, created by every single person. Cause, but that's what's great. I love discovering new music.
0: I know so too fun. much. You know too much. To believe in anything.
2: Let's talk about, uh, we, we've talked about Adrian Ballou. You know him from King Crimson and playing with David Bowie and
0: playing with Frank Zappa. Well, here's the brag. Here's the brag about Adrian Ballou. My guitarist, Adrian, our guitarist, Adrian Ballew, I Like how you said, my guitar is Well, they're all mine. It's my singer, my bass player. They're all you know. They're all my people. Our is this it, your ba- is this your band? Because you're singing? Not anymore. It isn't. It started out. They it started out as my mm-hmm. project. But as soon as we got in the room, my mission was to make it their band and their album. And so now I don't have to pay them scale. (laughs) 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 Sounds machiavellian, but there's a different energy that you get. There's a method to your madness. Well, when you're a band and you're four guys throwing down and putting everything you've got into it, it's a very, very different environment from when you're a hired guy doing as you're told. And any of these players could do as they're told and produce a pretty interesting, you know, really good result. Exactly what you want. But I want more than what I want. I want them to fire in and to reach deep into their cookie jar then pull out the really deep cool stuff. So for that, the band vibe is best to just get those sparks flying, to get that synergy happening, to get that crosstalk of what makes a band album more exciting than a solo artist album.
2: Your uh, your personality uh, from from what I've seen you in interviews or just <laughs> the little bit we've talked right now, it doesn't seem like you would be you would want to be just someone's side man. You want to You do want to get in there. Well, I'm not very good at it.
0: As a composer, I'm a really good sideman. Yes. I'm really good at taking instructions and giving you, the artist, what you want. And I can, you know, for for film, for music, Mm -hmm. you want it happy, sad? Sure. You want it happy, sad with a little glint of humor? Okay, happy, sad. Here's that little glint of humor. Happy, sad, little glint of humor, but an underlying sense of doom. (laughs) I got it. You know, I'll do that. On the drums nuh I am a force of nature. I don't think. I don't take instruction. I am hog wild. That's what I've got these two pieces of wood in my hands for. <laughs> and don't you tell me nothing. Just play your damn song so, and I'll come in and do something.
2: So no one's going to say,
0: Stuart, could you try it a little bit like this? They can say it all they want. And I will do my best. I will do my level best. Whatever instruction might be given. I'm not just being Mr. Arrogant here. I I try, folks. I try. But my memory's not so great. You know, playing drums is a completely different and almost unrelated experience to composing mm-hmm. because it's visceral okay because you're beating things you're smacking things smacking you're th- chopping wood
2: i saw, i recently watched the um 1983 synchronicity tour and you are wrapping tape black electrical tape around your fingers are and they armor just, plating are they bleeding what's going on with your hands at that point what is that
0: well, I got wussy hands. Okay, but uh, you never wore the hands gloves. hands are strong, the skin not so much. But you didn't wear gloves back then. No, they didn't have cool gloves. I, they probably did mm-hmm. uh, for golfers. Yeah. Uh, that's what I use now. Um, they probably had them all along, but I had not discovered them, so I used gaffer tape. And it was a ritual before every show of wrapping it, and it had to be just perfect. And by the time you put the gaffer tape on, you can't feel your stick anymore. So in my left hand, I put a little notch so that to hold the snare drum. So it's that, nuts. Know, so that, so that, but the notch is in the wrong place. I'm screwed for 2 hours show. And so it's obsessive to get all this, this these lumps. And then there's another part of it. Would you do hand. it
2: yourself, or does a roadie take care of uh, Stuart Copeland's hands?
0: Uh, I wish. <laughs> ah, what a blessing that would have been. Um, and eventually, like in the reunion tour, they have this nut- new product, which is like Sort of like a kind of plastic. You put it into boiling water, okay. and then you can mold it. And so I molded like these pieces of armor plating that I then wrap up with gaffer tape and then put a glove on top of that. And then they need a crane to hoist me onto the drum riser uh, with all the, this armor no, plating I, on. But I don't play like that anymore. Now that I'm playing with these orchestra things, mm-hmm. uh, it's a much different technique. More finesse? Well, yes, but mainly volume. You know, In a rock band, you, the drummer plays from like you know, 7 to 12. You know guitars go to eleven, but we 're drummers, okay. Yeah. we go to twelve <laughs> and uh, but in with the orchestra, the dynamic range that works is zero to four, and you don 't realize this when you go see an or- orchestra play it 's magnificent it 's huge, sounds huge and powerful, but the actual volume. The physics of it yep. are not even close to one Fender Champ amplifier or one rock drum set. You go smack on the snare drum and a 90-piece orchestra hasn't got a chance. It's not a fair fight. <laughs> and so to play with that orchestra, because yep. I wrote this music my damn self, and I want to hear that little piccolo, piccolo solo or that little solo violin moment, so I've got to get real quiet. And that took a lot of practice to figure I was, that I out. Would,
2: I would think, because every, every hit of a drum is loud, so to play... But here, there's an upside to it,
0: uh, a lesson learned from Joe Morello and actually John Fishburn of Fish, of all people, that, or Charlie Watts. You can play those drums really quietly and put it through the PA and make it sound huge. So having to learn to play with the orchestra really, really quietly, there's an upside, a couple upsides. Mm-hmm. One is I don't get a headache, and nor, nor does anyone else. Uh, two, the drums sound beautiful when you, t- when you yeah. just, you know, play them rather than hit them um and also all kinds of technique that i learned as a kid uh all those rudiments now have relevance roughs drags press roll these things just have no purpose in rock and roll you they they don't read those things don't get past a guitar amplifier but now all these this vocabulary is now revealed so this playing very quietly is very cool um another strange thing with playing with orchestra you know one time I had three shows with the orchestra. We were on tour with an orchestra. Great. With the New West Symphony. Three shows in one day. No, three shows. Three over shows the totally. Of, okay. Yeah. So we're on tour with the New West Symphony. And the first show, we rehearse in the hall, and then we do the show. Second show, new hall, we get there. When's the sound check? Well, there's no sound check. What do you mean no sound check? Well, go out and have a look at the stage. And I go out and I have a look at the stage, and there's no microphones. There's no PA. There's no electronics... Of any kind. 60 guys go out onto that wooden stage, huddle together, and make music without any amplification at all. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, that must be... That, that's got to be <laughs> exhilarating.
2: There's a little bit of that cough because you're getting over the flu. Yes. Yeah. We rescheduled this for today, and I thank you for that, but um, I just want to let people know. Damn. Yeah. You're sick.
0: <laughs> but alive. <laughs>
2: okay, so Mark King, uh, he's bass and... Some vocals on there?
0: Well, Adrian and, and Mark do, and, and Vittorio, by mm-hmm. the way, too, they do the actual singing stuff. I do the storytelling. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of hit and miss about the tune. Sometimes <laughs> it's a song. Sometimes it's just me talking. <laughs> uh, and I try and get it as in tune as possible. But then for the Honest to God chorus, which, you know, the actual musical part, mm-hmm. they come in and sing that properly.
2: Now, when you guys, uh, when you guys play live, who's going to sit behind the drum set? Pete
0: Biggin. Tell me about Pete Biggin. I do not know who that is. He's the drummer in Level 42, which is is Mark King's band. I'm going to be playing drums. uh, but just not all the time. Not all the time. I like playing drums. I'm good at it. It's it's a fun ride. I love to do it. Will you guys be playing
2: at the same time? Or is it just one kid? Well,
0: sometimes it'll be, sometimes both, sometimes just him. Um, Drummers, unlike guitarists, like playing with other drummers. Guitarists hate playing with another guitarist, right? But that's drummers, true, that's true. But drummers love other drummers, so that's not a problem, and uh, it's fun to do. But occasionally, I'm going to strap on that guitar, and I've already talked to Marshall about setting me up the most terrifying wall <laughs> of uh, amplification—the
2: Spinal Tap wall. Of
0: oh that. my God!
2: All right, let's hear some of this uh, Gizmodrome. First of all, we're going to—and this is a very eclectic album. I've, I haven't really heard anything like this since, I would say, Frank Zappa's music. Did, hey. uh, was, the, was the Adrian Ballou Zappa influence, or did that come from you, or it just came from the whole band together?
0: Well, I think both Zappa and me were both affected by Sacre Ballou. That would be Adrian Ballou? Well, yes, we were, in, we were in Paris promoting. If you're going to do an and inside we went joke, to, you have to
2: let me in on well, it. Well,
0: we went up to the Sacre Cours up there, and I got a picture of Adrian up against the, the famous landmark in Paris like that, and, mm-hmm. uh, and the Instagram thing was Sacre Belu, <laughs> which I thought was darn smart. Yeah. All right, let's hear, let's start with uh, Zombies in the Mall. You ready? Sure. There's just no way to be cool when the crocs are in the pool. Just say goodbye to it all Cause
1: the zombies are in the mall The day was long.
0: in in earphones
2: yeah that's uh that's uh stuart copeland on lead vocal
0: why show yeah yeah um it was supposed to be the other guys uh and i'd we'd i'd show them the song we work it out we wrestle with it we go do a couple takes and then i lay down a guide vocal i go out there and hit the mic and so the book kind of goes like this and i come and say okay mark you're up and uh they are all looking at me no 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 that's the vocal
2: I wanted to hear that you just threw your hands up and said, look, if you guys can't do it, I'm going to do it and have a tantrum, a rock and roll tantrum.
0: No. Which way around? No, no. (laughs) Generally, I muscle up to the microphone first because I'm that guy. Actually, I've become that guy. I didn't used to be that guy, but now I am. Are you you much calmer now? I am much calmer, but I am going to muscle up to the microphone. (laughs) And there's a lot of chat out there. You know, when I do stuff on my own and I have all my folks respond to it, Mm -hmm. it's all love, 100% love. Course,
2: when you put a set list together, when you got now do you guys have uh
0: dates ready or you know wait till 2018? We're doing 2018, we're just sorting that out now, okay.
2: And will it be um, will you augment this album with songs from everyone's back catalog or will it just be stick with gizmo stuff?
0: Well, at first, we will be playing other stuff mm-hmm. uh, for a couple reasons one, because folks like it, but mainly because we've only got one album worth of right. stuff out there. That's, that's a 40-minute set. Yeah, we true. intend to play for a little longer than that. And we'll stretch the songs out. But uh, our plan is to start getting some new material together. And one by one, as we come up with our second album the, material... will put those into we'll, the set list. We'll put those onto the set list and, you know, and maybe drop darkness. So for uh, you, this is
2: an ongoing thing. This isn't going to be one and done. You guys are really well, passionate it's, about...
0: It's earning its life. Mm-hmm. When we recorded it, the concept was, if we're enjoying it, we'll keep on recording it. Uh, and once we've recorded it, if it works out there in the world, if people respond to it, we'll go tour it. And if we're enjoying the tour, we'll do another tour. Okay. Right now, we're at the state was yes, it's working. <laughs> we're doing it. We're on. Let's go, baby. Let's make another one.
2: All right. Let's hear uh, something else. Let's hear Man in the Mountain.
0: There's a man in the mountain And he's coming on down Got a broke back horse bent up horn. His hat is white, but his face is dark. So the dogs will bite as he leaves his mark. Giddy up, old horse. Giddy up, my steed. Put your best hoof forward in this hour. There's the other guys. There's the honest to God singing.
2: Real pretty. I like how at the beginning you say man
0: in the mountain. Yeah. Well, because it rhymes with rain. Right. And that's what you can do. You, just make you can it, do that. You just
2: pronounce it however you want to pronounce it.
0: Well, yeah, because we're surrounded by Italians who don't know what the hell we're talking about <laughs> anyway. In fact, there's a couple songs on there that are, there's one song, which is a celebration of the, of, of the Italian language. I'm not sure what it means exactly, but it just sounds like Italian. And when you're surrounded by Italians, the, you don't necessarily need to. My, my talent's gotten pretty good by now, or a little better anyway. But for, I've been going there for a decade. And surrounded by Italians, the music of their language, you, you, you can feel the passion, the life, the pasta, the olive oil. It's all there in the language.
2: At this point in your life, has there, is there any place you haven't been where you would like to go in your travels? It oh, seems, yeah. like been, seems like you've been
0: everywhere. No, no. I haven't been to Russia. Uh, there's a lot of Asia that I haven't been to. I just wow. I just recently discovered China. You know, I was in Hong Kong mm-hmm. decades ago. It was a toilet uh, then. That's uh, very different now. Uh, I was in Macau, and but basically all I saw was a giant gambling establishment. Right. But I was in Beijing unbelievable what a fantastic country that's been hiding there the dragon has been sleeping but man beijing rocks i was there with an uh, with a chinese rock god called sui jian who was kind of the the bob dylan bruce springsteen everything of china he's the the balladeer whose songs were sung at tiananmen square and they'd locked him up it's amazing not locked him up but they'd held him from doing public shows for 20 years and they let him out of the box to do a big stadium show and he Happens to have been a police fan, so he invited me to come over, and and I played... Message in a bottle in Chinese, but ah, oh, what a show.
2: it was huge this for just huge. one one performance. You did that. You just well, I moving? played it.
0: I played a couple of his songs. Okay, but it was one big stadium show, forty thousand people. One of the most emotional shows because it was the homecoming yeah. of this great balladeer, and finally he's able to play. And ah oh, it's in the production value, the lasers, the projections. This this was no fire drill. This was like the Chinese Olympics. They know how to put on a really complicated amazing show and, and, and because of his history really emotional as well and I was sobbing as we played <laughs> message in a bottle in Chinese
2: a song that you've played a million times but it really hit you with this guy at this time in front of these people yeah it's um see this is, I'm glad you're talking about stuff like this because your your resume is so vast that we could we could never cover it in in one shell so I'm glad that you're interjecting things that I definitely don't have on my list
0: I'm croaking already.
2: <laughs> Let's hear one more Gizmodrome and for now, and then we'll, uh, where did the name come from, Gizmodrome?
0: Well, we, for years, uh, Vittorio Cosma and I just were hanging out in Italy doing shows of any kind mm-hmm. with no agenda under the name of Gizmo. But then when it got serious, when we, when we made a record, turns out there's 10 other bands called Gizmo, so we had to come up with something. And like I said, we were recording in uh, Vittorio's Cosmodrome.
2: So there you go. You just put it together. There you go. All right, let's hear Summer's Coming.
0: Summer's coming, gonna burn my feet. This tour has cut me loose all week. Gonna get a hotel room in New Orleans. I'm a roller coaster in jeans. My check out New York. And have a look at the many ways ways to screw up. I could write the book You can drop me in London town I know where trouble Can always be found
2: It's fun. It's got a great vibe. I love, uh, I love all the instrumentation that I can hear, especially with the headphones.
0: My and, wife uh, loves that vocal. Yeah, it's great. I'm just looking for Babylon. I didn't think I could do that. It was the producer made me do that. Is that the
2: sexy Stuart Copeland voice?
0: That's that's my Barry White.
2: That's your Barry White? Yeah. I guess it is your Barry White.
0: Who loves a baby? <laughs> you have kids? I have seven children. You have four s- grandchildren.
2: You have seven kids? Yeah. Okay. That's incredible. Uh, and I'm they, not
0: quite sure how that happened. But, well, uh, I think we, we I know a, how I have, it a, happened. Fa- I have a faint idea.
2: And uh, Are... Are they musical? Do they have... Do, out, of the,
0: they, out of the uh, the seven, um, there's one that's profoundly musical mm-hmm. and creative, and others that have a little uh, various pieces of, of the gift. And, but out of seven, there's only one where he's got... The, 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 several different yeah. gifts comprise musicianship. And, and do you
2: want... Because a lot of people, you know, people that are in... Like sometimes act, actors will say, oh, I, I don't want my kids to go into acting. As a musician, do you... Would you would you welcome uh, someone to have a, one of your kids to have a career in music or?
0: Well, if if it's the real thing, mm-hmm. uh, yes, because it's what they got to do. Yeah, um, but having climbed the mountain, I realize how flaky it all is. And the mountain's really
2: hard uh, to and climb I realize now. That
0: I, well, no, the, the mountain is a little harder to climb, but it's it's still totally climbable. People are climbing it every day. Well,
2: that's true, but it's. Um I always say, I, and again, I talk about the Foo Fighters all the time about this. I feel like they're, they were one of the last great rock bands that are going to be able to have a sustainable career in music. You know what I mean?
0: Why show? Because the revolution hit. Right. It's going to happen. Yeah. Same thing happened to the saxophone. It's going to happen. It's happening to the guitar. So it's going to come back. Time, you think you it's going to come back around? No. Okay. <laughs> It might no. Nowadays things coexist. <laughs> the, the the cycles. I love coexist. how I'm right
2: in front of you and didn't didn't get <laughs> what you didn't get what you were saying at all.
0: Nowadays the cycles coexist, so the guitar will never go away. Right. Uh, the saxophone was supplanted and it went away, uh, and that generation is now gone. My dad's generation, my generation of music guitar, bass, and drums, mm. been around for half a century. Uh, finally, Kanye comes along and Kendrick Lamar and uh, Will I Am, right? And they've blown that guitar and that bass guitar-based drums is no longer how you make pop music, yeah. and uh, that's good. I don't like that music necessarily. I mm-hmm. respect it. My seventeen-year-old forces me to listen to it on the way to school in the morning, and I listen to it. I observe uh, closely and I admire uh, the creativity in it and how they have just thrown aside all of the rules of you know. As soon as I drop her off, I get back and I put on my stevie ray Vaughan. yeah you yeah know. i have a
2: 17 year old daughter and uh, driving her to school same thing that's when we listen to music we'll get in the car and the first thing she'll say is can i listen to my music today or is it your music and i've been giving her a
0: lot of her music days but oh, it's um, all her music days it's, it's all in, my, for in my, your car yeah in my education because when they were younger that all they wanted to hear is daddy's music <laughs> right. oh man i love my kids yeah Dad, let's hear your music. Oh my gosh, great. My weird opera. That's when they, like, want, they want some uh, extra allowance. Maybe. No, 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 no. This you is know. before they discover By the time they discover allowance, they want to hear their own music. <laughs> and so I, um, I've been, you know, I have seven kids, and as they've each gone up, they've kept me hip. And I'm losing my last um, connection to hipness. As my 17 year old grows up, pretty soon she's going to be off in college, and yeah. I will be just an old guy wondering what's happening out there.
2: And four grandkids. Congratulations. That's, that's amazing. That's well, really cool. I want to talk about this band real quick. I don't know a lot about this band, so you're going to have to f- fill me in. Curved Air. Was this the first band that you were in that recorded uh, an album?
0: Yeah. That the, was my, the, time
2: you, the first time you recorded an
0: album. That was my first pro band. And they had been uh, big long previously. And in fact, it could be said that I was the last rat to jump aboard (laughs) the sinking ship. They had had hits long before, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah. And they had uh, had their day and were long gone. But then they were revived. And I was the tour manager. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. Uh, And so I tour managed the band. And then when they finished the tour, they said, well, wow, there's still a lot of interest there. Let's carry on. But the drummer Florian Pilkington Mixa had other things to attend to, so he went off and a couple of the other guys went off. And so but Sonia Christina and Daryl Way, the violinist, the two principals, they said, Let's carry on. And I said, Well, you know, I play drums pretty good. And did so, they know that you played drums at all at that point? They did. They okay. did. Because I had already been playing in a band with Daryl Way, kind of an offshoot band okay. called Stark Naked and the Car Thieves. Um so yes. That was I, one of the first things you learn as a drummer is how to get the other guy off the stool, <laughs> and how to get on there. And so I got myself into Curved Air. First pro band, first record company, bought drum set. First time I had a roadie set up my drums for me. First time I was in an actual paid band. And you were uh,
2: you're on two albums, Midnight Wire and <laughs> Airborne. And for Airborne, you, you also got to, you co-wrote three songs on Airborne. Yeah. And we're going to hear one of those. This is uh, Heaven Never Seems So Far Away.
0: Which I haven't heard in 40 years. Well, here you go. that's not bad. No, how that's do you call, not bad? And, and, I wrote that at the age of twenty-two or three, like that. I'd i I'd, I'd only just discovered writing songs because I heard there was money in it. Really. the guy who actually writes the songs gets paid for that? Hey, let me write a song. And I had three chords, and those are them. You just heard them.
2: I I bought that song on iTunes, so you'll probably be getting a residual check here in a
0: couple of days. The lyric is a little uh, whatever, but that that, that guitar figure, that bass line, I stand by that today. And how would you classify curved air? Oh, new. uh, they're progressive. They were one of the quintessential prog bands. And in fact, now that progressive is back, I now, it turns out, through curved air i have absolutely solid (laughs) prog rock credentials you 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 have kissed my ass i am prog rock curved air says so so now
2: how do you go from the prog rock band curved air into the police which at the time very punk
0: in my opinion prog rock in disguise (laughs) No, we were all prog rock players who had played the prog rock mm-hmm. scene and came from that, but just decided to get a haircut, <laughs> okay, and um, join a different clan and but wave it, a different flag.
2: So, it, but it, was it calculated or oh, was yeah. it, it? It was totally calculated. You, you guys wanted to play in front of play different stuff and well, front I of
0: did different people. Sting didn't. He just wanted a gig. <laughs> he wanted to move down to London and hit the main chance and do something. And He knew this loud. You know, this fast-talking American guy who said he's got this band called The Police and uh, Let's Go Baby and was convinced. He didn't like the music. He didn't identify with the scene. He was a jazz player. But uh, he did get the energy and he got the sense of opportunity. Mm -hmm.
2: And it was uh, at that point, it's you, Sting, and Henry Parvani. Is that how you say his name? That's right. And um, so it was you and Henry and then Sting joined the two of you?
0: Well, no. When I called Sting up in Newcastle, and said, hey, look, I've got a band. want to come down and check it out. Um, he said, okay, I'll be there Thursday. My next thought was, okay, I, uh, now i got to assemble a band. <laughs> and I knew a guitarist called Henry. I didn't, hadn't seen him play or anything. I just right. knew that, that he was a guitarist. And that he had recently dropped acid and cut his hair, so he fit the bill perfectly. All right, he's ready. He's ready. Um, so that's why he was in the band.
2: And the first uh, the first thing you guys released is a single, Fallout, backed with nothing achieving. You wrote both of these songs. Yeah. And you co produced the or did you produce the single?
0: Well, I produced it kinda of, I don't know. I might have shared the credit with Baza, the engineer. We both kinda did of yes, it. I
2: think you did. Yeah. And uh let's hear these songs are amazing. I love these oh, songs. Shucks, the the energy with these songs. I listen to these songs all the time. Yeah. Like they're a mental cool. patient.
0: I like them. But they ain't no Roxanne. No, but these, when these pop We'll get to that in a minute.
2: When these pop up, uh, uh, you know, I have a treadmill playlist in my iPod. And when these pop up, I'm I'm running like a madman. Excellent. So let's hear uh, Fallout. I'm going to go right into Nothing Achieving.
1: My daddy's bootstrap.
2: minute and three second song and then a one minute and 56 second song so these are just
0: tight. well i only knew three yeah. chords you can only stretch them out so far and jamming was against the punk law
2: it's funny that you bring up roxanne the only songs in my playlist today are songs that you wrote or co-wrote because i feel sometimes i, I think that sometimes people think that the singer writes all the songs
0: well that's the most efficient way to do it mm-hmm. Because and finally, when our singer started writing songs, yeah. that's when the police became the band.
2: But when you're writing songs and Andy's writing songs, when you're the singer and you have to sing the words that another guy wrote. Well, it,
0: they have it, to mean something to you. And right. Sting is that kind of artist where he can't sing bullshit. Right. And so so any, any of the
2: songs that he did record that you guys wrote they, solo. They'd have
0: to be a lyric that he, would, he believed it. If
2: not, he would say, I can't but sing But he that.
0: tended to believe in his own songs more. Well, And by the way, so did we.
2: Yeah, sure. Those are the uh, those are the ones we know. I mean,
0: well, no. What happened was Andy Summers joined the band, and Andy Summers he had did this that
2: thing that you did. He got the drummer off the stool, right? Yes, exactly. He got Henry. Yeah, he came off in. He stage. informed
0: me that we need him and that he accepts our need. But he wasn't uh,
2: going to work with two guitars. He just wants yeah. one well, guitar he, player. He,
0: we did a couple of shows with two guitarists, but Andy was clear from the start. Yeah, guys, out of here. But. Um, at that point, Sting could see the value of a three-minute song. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar, solo, verse, chorus, you're done. Yeah, um, He had come from a jazz world where he was thinking in terms of a ten-minute opus. Um, so the punk world kind of taught him the format. Um, and now when Andy joined, Andy had the, a wide vocabulary of chords, harmonic st- sophistications, which Sting did too. So Sting could write a chord... Write write songs knowing that we had a guitarist who could play them. And so that's when the penny dropped. And he didn't know it. We didn't know it. When he joined the band, when we formed, we had no idea of what was under the hood with that guy in two counts. We had no idea he could sing like that because it wasn't required of him in our punk environment. And we had no idea that he could write songs like that. So these things were kind of just revealed, actually in Germany, when we were working for somebody else. That was the one last session that Andy had was with this German guy, and we were over there out of sight of the punk critics, where we could stretch out and prog out, right. and that's where we discovered that, damn, that guy can sing.
2: Sting has the whole package. He he's, looks good,
0: yeah. he can sing, and he can play. And he had a couple of those, he had two things for me. The package was, he plays bass and can sing. That was the package. That was we, it. Later on, it turned out there's a whole bunch more <laughs> stuff in that box. Oh, I
2: think girls like him, too. Okay, that helps us. Yeah. That'll help you sell albums. Yeah. So let's hear Peanuts from de D'Amour. Is that the Outlaws of Love? Is yeah. that what that means?
0: Yeah, but you don't need to pronounce the whole D. Outlando's D'Amour.
2: Ooh, see, I'm, I'm not smart. You're smart. You're not French. No, I'm not French. You're not French then. <laughs> not her <mind. laughs> Let's hear peanuts. So that song was co-written by you and Sting.
0: Well, he wrote the words; I wrote the uh, music. Perfect. It's how did interesting! You, you know, uh, an interesting observation as listening to these old compositions—they're the same guy. I've learned since then how to arrange the material, how to record it, how to inst- how to orchestrate it, if you like uh, the instrument. You know, I've learned a lot about how to take a musical idea and turn it into something. But the actual stuff the actual raw materials of what comes out of my brain with regard to music, melodies, bass lines, rhythms, it's the same guy. Yeah. And I listened to that, you know, my first opera that I wrote 20 or 30 years ago, I had to represent it and reorchestrate it for a, a larger ensemble. And I'm looking at those tunes that I wrote way back there. They're no better or worse than the stuff I'm writing today. I know how to do it better, but the quality of the tune, good or bad, they might be crap and they're still crap, or if you like them now, they were. I kind of like them. Yeah. And even in that raw state, there, that bass line, the way it works against the chords, it's not rocket uh, science. great, but, it, but it's the same guy. That album. This album is great, and you know, I'm going
2: to kiss your ass a little bit. But I, I've, I've said this on the show before, so it's not fake. You guys didn't release one bad studio album. You guys have five. Well, no,
0: there are some patches in there. Well,
2: I, I don't think so. I think I, I can listen to all these top to bottom without skipping any tunes. And then the B sides too. You guys have great B sides that didn't make it onto the albums, which are amazing. How did you guys get to produce self-produce your first album? Cause that always amazes me. Here's three guys that no one's ever heard of. And A&M Records says, okay, you can produce it. I mean, is it, it's lucrative for you probably because if they let you do it once and you have any type of success, when you want to do it again, they'll let you be producer or co-producer. I assume.
0: It never crossed our minds to get a producer. We just knew what we were doing. Okay. And uh, I had in Curved Air, I've been saying recently, I'd never been produced before until this Drone album. And then Claudio came and produced it. Wow, being produced is great. I love it. <laughs> and But actually, no, that's not true. That I was produced with Curved Air. And I hated it. Um, I hated what the producers did. They they, they, they watered it down. They, it was like they were the enemy. It was like trying to make a record in spite of the producers. Um... And so when, when we bust out on our own, the last thing I wanted in a room was some guy with an opinion yeah. other than mine. Dealing with Andy and Sting was enough.
2: But, it so- and the, but the album sounds great. You guys
0: really did know what you were doing. Yeah, well, it's not rocket science.
2: <laughs> it is to me. But I got, later look, on, look what
0: I'm working with right okay, here. Okay, later on, 40 years later, I record the Gizmodrome album, mm-hmm. and I'm, uh, by now I've learned another trick. You don't have to be the boss of everything. <laughs>
2: What's what's the difference between recording the first Police album in 1978? I'm talking uh, technology. How is it different? Did you guys play live in the studio together for that first album and just record it, or did everyone play separate parts and you pieced it together? How did that work for the first album? uh,
0: If uh, Jimi Hendrix appeared in the studio in 20. uh 17 mm-hmm. in the studio with gizmodrome god i hope that happens right and now me, while I, I'm, I'm here i'm praying for it i'm pray- i'm burning i'll set I've, up another mic i've got, mic a, I've got immediately. a goat burning right now <laughs> uh, if that would happen he would look around at the, the, the players playing and he'd look back at the booth and he would see nothing different okay same process so, you same know, the, thing the guys in the band they figure out the riff they go and they do a bunch of takes then they go into the control room and they do a bunch of overdubs the difference is not what he would see the mm-hmm. difference is in the under the hood technology In his day, he would have had a 24-track, or actually, way back, he would have had an 8-track, 1-inch tape, uh, and that would have been, you know, he would have had a whole thing of bouncing the drums down to create more tracks for guitar and vocals and so on, all that bouncing. But that bouncing uh, was replaced by first, several different layers of technology came and expired and were gone and then supplanted. And we're now three or four technologies down the line in terms of what you record on to. In his day, he was limited by having an eight-track, one-inch tape. Then it was two-inch, 24-track. Then they invented the concept of synchronizing tape machines so you could have slave reels. You could record 24 tracks and then have another slave running in sync, just full of vocals, only vocals, and another slave reel with only guitars. That was hell. That was a terrible (laughs) period in music. The slave reels. Then... In came the 48-track Mitsubishi digital uh, recorder, 48 tracks. And now you can bounce down with no loss, lossless uh, dump. You didn't have any signal-to-noise ratio. It was all digital. And then, after all that, that, at this late juncture, (laughs) that's when they invented computers. Get this. Our whole career happened before there was ever a computer in the room. And Hendrix wouldn't notice that computer. He would notice the same Shure 57 microphone. Yep. He would notice the same drum set, although it's a Japanese drum set instead of Slingolin nowadays. He would see the same Marshall amplifiers. He would see everything the same, except where's that giant two inch tape machine? It's in this screen right here.
2: So the musicians, they're not doing anything different than the, what they would have done. Well, we were back not. And
0: day. also in Gizmodrome, the technique was the same, where I show them a song. And uh, they haven't heard it before. And we chew on it for 15, 20 minutes. We go out and we record it right there. We do two or three takes. We pick the best take. And that's the record. The police did it the same way. We never, you know, we never heard the songs until 20 minutes before the recording that you are familiar with.
2: And how long did it take to record the first album? Police album? Yeah.
0: Uh, a month.
2: That's, that's nuts. An album that good that stands the test of time for this long.
0: 40 years. Well, no, the, uh was different from all the they say that you have your whole life to write your first album in well, yeah. six months to write your second album. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, same. We had been playing this material for the first album.
2: So you were ready to go. We, were ready to, we, go. Go. we were ready to go. The second you album, ahead.
0: we didn't have enough material, but we had been playing like like crazy we hadn't played that much when we did the first album but we had this material the second album we had been playing like crazy touring across Mm -hmm. america we found our sound we developed who we are as a band but we didn't quite have a full set of songs so we had to make stuff up in the studio
2: and you have you have six co-writes or a couple written by yourself on the on the second album
0: yeah well like i say we were short of material but that creativity uh, aren't
2: aren't aren't bad you say that like these
0: no no i'm not uh casting aspersions yeah but no when you're under the gun when you're under pressure the quality is not diminished i learned this in television in episodic television when i've got a show score every week it comes in tuesday i ship it friday with good bad or ugly there's something on that tape (laughs) and you i discovered that the quality of your work improves it gets deeper mm-hmm. the music i wrote for equalizer for spire the dragon under the gun just quantity quantity another riff you know that's the best riffs i ever wrote and so those police records that were written really under or created under duress don't suffer from that duress at all
2: no not at all no i and how do you say that i'm afraid to say the title of the second album so i want you to say it for me
0: regatta de blanc okay i could have said that damn it
2: now, when you're scoring, well, you could have put
0: a little English on it. You could have called it "Ragata de Blanc."
2: When uh, when you're scoring a TV show, like uh, I'm going to say, "The Equalizer," because you brought that one up, what happens when you they send you an episode that you don't think is a great episode?
0: do your- Is that supposed to be a problem? <laughs> No, I guess the no. show comes up. What's the first cue? One M one, you know, the car chase. Okay. Car chase. Uh, one M two, the aftermath, you know, the little girls mm-hmm. crying, the little girl crying music. one M three. Okay. Daddy shows up. Daddy music. He's the bad guy. Okay. He's an asshole music. Uh, <laughs> you, that's what you do. So you just do your job as good as you can do it. Despite what well, you're a craftsman, okay. The film composer is a craftsman, not an artist. Mm-hmm. The artist is the director and television, the writer. Um, the composer is just one of the team and he's a craftsman. And, uh, this, this craftsman, by the way, as a musician, has the widest set of chops of any form of musician. The film composer can do it all. Mm-hmm. He can compose, he can play, but mainly he compose. He can compose futuristic sci-fi music. He can compose period romance with an orchestra, or with technology, or with a rock band, or with whatever the film compose. And not only using these different musical languages, but specifically happy, sad happy-sad with a little glint of, you know, very specific. Right. music is your slave. It must be happy. I don't care if it's a great riff or a bad riff. It must be happy-sad with a glint of humor on the top. And that's you learn how to control music and make it do exactly emotionally what you need it to do. And the film composers got these chops. Artists don't because they don't need to yeah that happy sad he's not feeling happy sad he's feeling happy sad with a glint of doom and so that's what he writes he doesn't have to learn that other thing that was required of him because there's nothing required of an artist but his own instincts so those chops that you learn as a craftsman come in very handy when uh, when you retire, such as I have, and now my my, my you're not skills, really retired. My skills are devoted to fine arts. Yeah, writing for orchestra. The pay isn't as good as Hollywood, but it's much more rewarding artistically. And I took all that stuff that they paid me to learn mm-hmm. in Hollywood, and I do stuff that I like.
2: Well, you've got that curved Arab mailbox money, so you'll be fine. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Let's hear. It's all right for you.
0: Andy let me play guitar on that one. Oh, really? Yeah, he played the solo, but the 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 rhythm guitar part uh, yeah, that was very generous of him.
2: When uh, when I hear you play drums, I know it's you. Before I know it's you, you have you have your own sound. Andy also has his own yeah. sound on guitar. Like when I hear something, like, I get oh, I think that's Andy Summer. and yeah. then you look it up and you go, oh yeah, it is. And that's pretty cool. I think the best musicians have their own tone or their own sound. You know. Brian May, you know, people like that. You, you know who it is immediately. So good well, on you. Good on
0: you. Well, thank you. It's, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, as a drummer, uh, folks love that stuff. As a film composer, it can be problematic. You don't want to get typecast.
2: That's okay. And, True.
0: And you've seen it a million times. You know, Danny Elfman came in and suddenly that was the sound. Every film wanted that sound. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon they want anything but that sound. Yeah. You know, these, these, you know. You, they want it and then they don't want it You anymore. can come in and out of fashion, I guess.
2: Did um, you do a lead vocal on, uh, on this album
0: on any other day? I guess I do, yeah. <laughs> Let's hear it.
2: Now that seems like one that maybe Gizmodrome could throw in the set list.
0: Yeah, maybe. A Regrettable couple of lyrics in there that I now regret.
2: So you wouldn't want, So if you unless, if you if you were to perform this with Gizmodrome, would you change those lyrics?
0: Yeah, probably. You would.
2: What, what, which ones do you? Which ones? Well, do you regret? my
0: fine young daughter turned what? out to be a man. Okay. <laughs> I have to figure out a way of making that rhyme. Yeah. And by the way, the problem with that is that it doesn't fit the song. Yeah. Because I celebrate this transition mm-hmm. or this realization, rather. Um, and I regret. Uh, that that seems to put a pejorative on my fine young son turning out gay. Yes. In this modern world, I would be a not an issue. That would not well, be a thing.
2: Well, I mean, the, uh, everything's changed. Uh, getting
0: e- you know, getting eggs all over me—that's a problem. <laughs> yes. The uh, my teenage daughter running away—that's a problem.
2: problem, right? But uh, but the thing you just men- mentioned is not a problem.
0: No. No. And it you, shouldn't you know, be. You, culture changes, and you learn. Yeah. And when you've been around when for we, 65 years, culture has changed a few times. You, you don't look
2: 65 at all. Uh, shucks. It's crazy. Like, what were you guys uh, taking in the police that you guys still look?
0: You guys. We look, thought you, we were wild barbarians uh, creating <laughs> havoc across the land partaking of every vice and then you then well, i read then you, you know, see what other bands are doing then i read keith richards book and realize that we were boy scouts
2: and how did keith richards remember all that stuff to write a 500
0: page book somebody else
2: did. <laughs> well they had to pull it out of them though didn't they
0: yeah i'm sure those war stories have been told and retold a few times
2: so they just they just uh, yeah they i know what you mean two songs on this album that you wrote by yourself you can choose which one you want to hear contact <laughs> or does everyone stare
0: does everyone stare, definitely. All right. By the way, before you play it, a little backstory. Yes, please. Uh, when I was in college, majoring in music, um, California School of Performing Arts in San Diego, uh, in my harmony class, I was the runt of the litter. Because everyone else in that class had been playing piano since the age of seven, and I didn't play piano at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm starting at the bottom of learning harmony, music theory, how chords are structured and everything and uh, one of some homework was to write 16 bars of figured bass where you have 16 bars of chords that one leads into the other with proper voicing and you don't have parallel fists and you obey all the rules of harmony and uh, 16 bars go home and write 16 bars and i already had stuff that i was plonking around that you know i had a, a song that i you know an opus that i was imagining and so i turned what i had to make it obey the role, mm-hmm. these rules, and I hand it in. And so in class, the teacher, the professor, plays down uh, Joey's piece, and plonky, 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 plonk, and uh, okay, that's good, and plays Jane's piece, plonky, plonky, plonk. <laughs> and then she plays my piece, and she plays, plays it. And for me, because I can't play it. Mm-hmm. I could write you it. You could write it, but not play and it. I could play each chord, in with the right chord, but not in rhythm. I couldn't couldn't even hope to move my fingers fast enough to play it in rhythm. So I'm hearing what I wrote, actually played in rhythm on time, and I'm I'm just blissing out on here. But when she finishes, she says, "Well, look, uh, bar thir- bar four, that that you've got the parallel force there. I, I see why you did that because it creates a tension. Then here, this parallel fifths, um, maybe that should have been a third. But you know, once again, I understand that you've actually you broken this rule and it actually has an effect. And and this is an actual piece of music that changed my life that's high praise and I'm the run to the litter and this you know sounds like faint praise that's actually music but for me that was a validation that was just so huge and those 16 bars (laughs) are in the following song
2: oh cool then and this is uh Uh, by the way
0: those 16 bars that I wrote for that class paid for my entire education
2: (laughs) that's a good skill to
1: have yeah Change my clothes ten times to before I tell you a day I'm in a cold sweat
0: song yeah and by the way the, the, you just faded out on this strange phenomenon when i was recording that demo at home with my mics and sort of this studio mm-hmm. back then yeah uh and suddenly i got a radio interference just out over the radio and onto the microphone and onto the tape came this opera singing some opera song perfectly in tune with exactly the right sentiment That's and strange. it just ended up on my home demo and that opera singer was the reason that Andy and Sting said oh we got to use that as the introduction it's so cool
2: was, was there much um when it came to music were you guys uh, all on the same page or was there was there any like uh, disagreements about
0: we were not um at first we were codependent and mm-hmm. we needed each other and we there was a gap and then Andy would fill it uh, great you know mean we, we we were codependent but eventually we started to learn mm-hmm. how to do this um, and particularly sting started to learn how to use a studio how to use guitar bass and drums how to use a keyboard and he kind of didn't really need to consult with anybody mm-hmm. he it was just obvious to him you just you learn these things and all of us did we all learned and so we began to have our ideas of our own, <laughs> and they, as we grew as musicians, they sometimes were not the same ideas. And uh, we eventually we realized years, years later in the therapy, yeah, what these debates were all about, what these conflicts were all about, and they were what kind of music should we make? It wasn't ego. It wasn't. Um, it became because we were young men. It became power struggle. Um, but really it came from the fact that music has a different function in our lives uh for me it's a celebration for stingo it's a solace it's a place to go to a magical enchanted place uh for me it's a celebration let's burn down the building let's burn down the building let's burn down but i'm looking for an enchanted place and so the dichotomy worked for us it made the band stronger uh, did,
2: did it weaken friendships at all <laughs>
0: it made the band stronger and that tension wasn't enjoyable for each of us. We mm-hmm. had to give things up and we had to go places we didn't want to go, but we were forced to and the result did not suck. So when, yeah, it, so when it, you
2: sit it, down, you, you, you finished recording Zenyatta Mandata, you sit down and you listen to that and you go, all right, that's pretty great. We did it.
0: Uh, sort of. It's pretty much years, years later. That uh, that's when you came to your realization? And yeah.
2: uh, not at the it, time it, when you're still a young man, as you said.
0: At the time, it did uh, mess with our... Repartee. Mm-hmm. We got really angry. But fortunately, Stingo and I have very shallow reservoirs of, of bile. Uh, short attention span, uh, emotionally, whatever, run out of you know, stamina. And so within 20 minutes, we'd forgotten what we were shouting about, and we were back in the pocket. Now, we're not birds of a feather. Mm-hmm. We're very different. In fact, uh, the, the same dichotomy of music is also our natures. I'm... Uh, he's quiet and deep. I'm noisy and shallow. Right, uh, but I think that's what I want in in in
2: a band. I don't want. But we do uh, everyone have, a, have a
0: bond that mm-hmm. transcends these differences, and it's there. We're we're bound together uh, in a in a kind of deeper sense, even though. If he's having a nice quiet moment in comes Stewart and the atmosphere is gone. Oh my god the noise and I'm having a great time The party is rocking and then suddenly this wet blanket the temperature drops he, you know And
2: where does Andy fall within the these two people that he's he's in a band with where does he he's a little bit older than you guys Yeah, did he wiser was he like? Oh, what are these two guys up to now or how
0: well? We'd go at it and he'd pull up a deck chair and throw bombs <laughs> He'd he'd feed the fire. No problem.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> In fact, um, I think Andy liked it when we were struggling because he could pick a side. But uh, he he knew what it was all about, and he, he was ne- he was never worried. You know the yeah. crew around us, the immediate crew, they were never worried. But people slightly, you know, several circles out, would they'd be see like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Screaming matches and think it was all over, and oh my god, you know, right? And it looked pretty dramatic because we're both vol, you know, we get yeah. wound up and uh, we go straight for the jugular. <laughs> <laughs> well, since like siblings do.
2: Yeah, that's that's you know, that's okay. what I that's what a, I thought. A, Andy, a
0: Thanksgiving lunch. Has more shouting and foul language mm. and absolutely you can't take that back kind of statement that ought to sunder any but your family and you get over and it's just that's the kind of discourse. <laughs> well, since you said
2: Andy would throw uh, the bombs, let's hear bombs away. And then I'm going to go right into the other way of stopping. It's an instrumental, written by Stuart Copeland. Yeah, yeah,
0: very Clark Kent.
2: It's Andy Summer on guitar. There's no one else plays like that.
0: Yeah. Well, he has that sound. That's that modified Telecaster. Yeah. Through his gizmotronics.
2: Did the Clark Kent project come about? Because the songs that are on Clark Kent, were those presented to the band as pieces of music? Yes. And then
0: they were rejects. They, they were rejects. They were police rejects.
2: Because like I said, and,
0: and by the way, they wouldn't have matched the police. You know, you can't have sing sting singing songs like that. You know, uh he's got way too much personal <laughs> dignity.
2: And uh and Clark Kent is co-produced by Nigel Grey who did the who co-produced the previous two police albums with you.
0: Wow, I'm surprised I gave him a credit.
2: On on Clark Kent?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's no, on there. He totally deserves it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm surprised I was that magnanimous. <laughs> because I did every damn thing else. I played guitar, I played all the instruments, even the brass section, the kazoo. Uh and uh wow i gave it up for a co-producer and
2: and you and you call it clark kent because that this album is your alter ego is it that simple
0: well once again like the police it's a word it's the name you know (laughs) true uh and uh the mask reveals the true identity Mm -hmm. as it did uh i i largely had a hit because of the mask and the bbc when they have their meeting and say what are we going to play this week and they listen to all the this week's releases they picked clark kent if it had been the police or the guy from Curved Air? Eh, but it was Clark Kent. Who is it? A mask, a mystery man.
2: So no one knew that this was when they picked that song. They don't know it's Stuart
0: no. Copeland. No, and they. Well, that must have been, been very that must, re- that must have been very rewarding. Then. Oh, it's cool. They, they most people thought it was somebody, and it wasn't. The police mm-hmm. were dead in the water, unknown, um, except to the few London critics who hated us. <laughs> <laughs> we were unknown, uh, and but they thought it was somebody. That you know, I heard people think it was Frank Zappa or. David Bowie or something, which was weird. Yeah. Um, but the, that mystery factor really worked for me.
2: And was that song? What, what was the song that the BBC picked up? Was it don't care?
0: Yeah, they picked up don't care. And in fact, because it hit the charts, uh, and remember this was the, our first chart experience for any of us. Yeah. Um, and we went and played Top of the Pops, the big national TV show. You know, you get on Top of the Pops and your record goes up 10 points in the charts. It's automatic. It was that kind of national show.
2: So you didn't play Top of the Pops until Zenyatta Mandata came out?
0: No, no, this is way before that. This is way before any of the police stuff. Okay. The police was unknown. This is before the police album. This is pre-police. Okay. Uh, Even though the the police was in business, we hadn't gotten anywhere. And uh, so then I had this little flash in the pan. And we went to play on top of the pops, and I didn't want to appear as a solo artist because mm-hmm. I thought that looked lame, so I wanted to appear as a band. Yeah. And so I had Sting and Andy. And so our first time on TV was as the Clark Kent band, all of us wearing masks.
2: Well, I thought Clark that's, Kent didn't come Sting, out until nineteen eighty.
0: I think Sting is the uh Brej, no, Andy's the Brezhnev, Sting is the Gorilla. So do and, I Well do the album I, came out later. Okay, so this was
2: there. just this was just a Clark Kent single that came out. Yeah. But it's on the Clark Kent album also. Yeah. And that's how I The it. album came later. Okay. So let's listen to, thank you for clearing up the timeline. Uh, I hate when I sit here and I think that the person across from me doesn't think that I know what I'm talking about. Is that how you're feeling right
0: now? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about.
2: Uh, you've, you have not heard this music with headphones on. No, it ev- sounds great, ev- by ev-
0: the way. Those old police mixes sound great. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah. Okay, let's hear, uh, let's hear Don't Care.
1: I am the hottest thing you ever will see. You know I'm something it ain't easy to be i the neatest thing that ever did town. There isn't anything that could bring me down. Don't care if you really want to hang around. Don't care, cause I am the neatest thing in town. Don't care if you really want to stick around. I don't care if you even want to put me down. The girls are always trying to settle me down. They never guess I'm only fooling around. My only worry is my humility. It damages all my heavy artillery.
0: By the way, recorded in the same studio, the same engineer, same drum set, same everything, as, you know, the next day we're there in the same place doing a police song.
2: That's, that's cool.
0: They were kind of done at the same time. See, I did
2: not know that. I, I hope listeners don't know that. This seems like, this seems like a, a, an exclusive.
0: Well, there are there songs that the police didn't want to do, mm-hmm. but, you know, I uh, figured they're kind of a hit song, so I pers- got, got some studio time. And of all of it, that's what the BBC actually picked up.
2: You and it's funny that it's Clark Kent, and then sitting in front of us on this table, you have a you have a whole uh, a whole tray of uh, eyeglasses. Yeah, <laughs> you have all your Clark Kent uh, disguises right in front of me, and I'm going to go right into Away from Home.
0: Pure Isle. <laughs> it's fun.
2: Yeah, really yeah, fun. yeah.
0: I, mean, I wrote that when I was in college. I was in Berkeley.
2: Yeah I love that. Uh, I love the Clark Kent. They, they call it an EP.
0: Well, it had three songs
2: Then there's an album that has eight songs.
0: Yeah, well, it was a, it was a ten-inch album um, And was uh, it on green vinyl it maybe was on too? green vinyl. Yeah, yeah.
2: and uh, your name's not anywhere on that No, nope. did I recall
0: well the the one regrettable thing is when I was doodling over there in London with you know, Clark Kent and I had to spell it different, so I use ah, K's. Let's use K's. And then I noticed, cool, three K's. How about you like, build like a graphic, like this triangle of K's? And oh my God, that's how dumb I was over there in England <laughs> thinking, you know. I vaguely knew there was this thing called the Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> uh, but I thought, it had, you know, I'd, I'd never been to They're America. They're not still around, though. I'd hardly goodness. been to America. I grew up in, you know, for my first 20 years outside of America mm-hmm. where I learned American history in school but did not experience any of America itself. I learned about it yep. from the other side of the world and then came over here and discovered that a lot of these bad things are not only real but they're still around and boy do I regret that graphic.
2: <laughs> yes, not not a good idea. I do like how the how it the the album itself is actually cut out. Well, like the K is cut eventually out. Eventually when
0: it was released in America yep. as an album, they 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 did everything to de-emphasize the KKK, the three Ks, the three Ks, one uh, K,
2: yes, just one big K. That's all we want. Of all the police albums, was there one that was more difficult to uh, make than than the others?
0: They got progressively they got more pre- hard. Okay. Um, the rot began to not the rot that the, the 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 tensions mm-hmm. became quite severe on the third album, and at that point, it was pretty clear that we were really at cross purposes, mm-hmm. but the result was still very strong. And even though we weren't enjoying the process, we could appreciate the result. And we were, in, in hindsight, we were very lucky to get another two more albums out of Sting. <laughs> uh, he could have gone long earlier, and he was, you know, compromised... In Music are not two things that go together, right? But, you know um, And it was very tough for him and got harder and harder and harder and the conflict got more You know by the time the last album we were over there in this paradise on Montserrat, you know surrounded by the jungle in this beautiful environment at each other's throats <laughs> It was hell uh, It was just hell uh, I know people who've been to like Fallujah that was probably really <laughs> hell, but uh, I, you know, it felt like Fallujah a lot of times, even though there was no blood being spilt uh, emotionally. And yet, you know, we went, we did two albums over there in Montserrat. Yeah, Ghost in the Machine finally, is the first. Finally, we just you couldn't hold it together anymore. Well, well in fact, at, at that point, we realized, look, let's be free, let's make music, because also I had had the experience of recording a film score with Francis Coppola. Where I went back into the studio. For Rumblefish. For Rumblefish. And I, you know, during all the police years, I hadn't done anything but police. Yeah. Um, And now to go back into the studio without those other two guys, those two incredibly inspiring, challenging players on my own to do a film score as a craftsman for Francis. And uh, I'm working for Francis. Not too shabby working with Francis Ford Copeland. Yeah, I'm working for him, but he doesn't know from music, so I get to do all the music and I don't have to negotiate with anybody. I have a guitar riff, I just record that sucker, I'm gonna play some drums now and now I shall perform on the bass guitar, no problemo. And it was just so liberating and musical and just the immersion and instinct and following that lead and just doing it without any constraint, without any struggle. And then it was kind of hard to go back to the police environment after after that. having that freedom. Yeah And that's when we realized calmly Look, let's melt down the golden cage
2: <laughs> Did um, how does it work now Francis you, you do the music and then the first time Francis sees it uh, Synced up with his vision Did he uh, did he immediately like it or there notes is there a note process?
0: Oh, yeah uh, it, it was, it went on because I didn't know what I was doing. It mm. went on in layers. And also I had to nuke all the other potential composers, mm. uh, another story. But I, once I'd gotten rid of all them, I just started not knowing how to do it. I just started laying down grooves and building it up layer by layer as you do. And the, uh, movie people would say, so when's the recording date <laughs> what do you mean, date date? I think I'm going to record this in a day. Well, yeah, actually they normally do it That's in a day. They were, they, they hire an orchestra and they record it on the date, uh, well, I'm in the studio for a month, and I'm playing it all myself, track by track, soon. layer by layer. You'll have it soon. You'll have it soon. <laughs> but I, but at one point, when I was a certain point in, Francis came down with his uh, editor and his producer and all these these guys, his crew, his uh, Apocalypse Now crew. Mm. Uh, they're all these these his team. They come down from on high. And they're listening to and They're shaking their and they're, they're nodding their heads going, this is pretty damn weird, but uh, I like it. Uh, yeah. And the cues are, of course, coming from the boss. And he's liking it. And uh, at one point, he says, uh, yeah, this is great. This is great. But uh, it needs strings. And immediately, I thought, oh, no, he's going to hire some string arranger or something. And uh, sorry, are we? Are we uh, strings? Strings? Yeah, string. Got it. OK, Francis, yours. when you're right, you're right. And let's get some strings. Strings. Hey, let's get some strings. So. I call up a contractor. Say,
2: what if all these years he actually said it needs sting? Ha
0: <laughs> <laughs> ha. I, I don't know what I would have done. I would have gone back to Montserrat. <laughs> but he wanted str- strings. And so I call up the contractor. And uh, he says, send me some strings. He says, well, how many?
2: However many takes. Know.
0: Strings. <laughs> How many strings are strings? He says, well, two guys is going to sound like two guys. If you want a big, heavy waft, you need them. You know, 14 first and yada yada. So anyhow, we hired some strings. And that's another whole anecdote about my discovery of music mm-hmm. on the page. If you put it on the page, rather than just tell the guitarist, hey, it's kind of in E, and it goes da-da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> you know, you show them a piece of music. Those guys read it exactly.
2: Exactly that, as it's
0: written. Exactly as it's written. And if you put... You put everything you want on that page, count them in, and they will play exactly that. No debate. Uh,
2: they're not improv... No improvisation. Well, they're if you just... ask them to improvise, yes. they look
0: very uncomfortable. <laughs> they do. Yeah.
2: Because they're not used
0: to that. No, they, their philosophy, their raison d'etre, is to reproduce exactly what's on the page so that this piccolo player is... Whatever he's doing, whatever it says on his page, he doesn't know what the other guys are doing. He just plays his part. And it's going to work with what that bass player is doing 20 feet away. Those eight bass players you know and so mm. his philosophy is to obey the page not to just make shit up
2: all right well let's hear something from the Rumblefish soundtrack let's listen to tulsa tango enjoying the stort copeland episode today Uh, before we continue i just want you to know that this episode of rock solid was brought to you by bose the engineers behind some of the world's best audio products including bose quiet comfort 35 noise canceling headphones i wore them today and so did stort copeland bose literally invented the technology of noise canceling almost 40 years ago because they believe that by blocking out unwanted sounds and distractions you can get immersed in what you truly love like me and stort copeland all one-air talent at Rock Solid Podcast, use the Bose Comfort 35 headphones during our recording, because we want to hear what you're going to hear. Bose, get closer. Yeah, this is a cool soundtrack.
0: Well, I didn't know how you're supposed to do it, uh, and so uh, it was described as revolutionary just because it was completely bone ignorant.
2: Sometimes that's the, that's the best.
0: I got a nomination for a uh, Golden Globe for that. Uh, the Golden Globes didn't mean anything back then, right? So I, I, it was they, later on the Golden Globes became real, real important. And now I'm bragging but, about it. Yeah, well, to I, be wish a, I, I wish I had that certificate somewhere uh,
2: to be acknowledged for something that you've you've have never done before. Your first time out. Yeah, that's cool. Impressive. Um, now I know I only ha- I only have you for uh, a uh, a little bit longer, and I, I know we didn't get to cover everything that we were going to cover, but I don't want to um, I don't want to. Keep you all day long. I just want to uh, ask you a couple more things. Uh, Ghost in the Machine, that's the first time I saw the police in concert. You guys were at Pittsburgh Civic Arena because I grew up in Pennsylvania. Uh, to get to the Pittsburgh Civic Arena from where I live, I live in a, lived in a small town, we're about two and a half hours away. And um, we had a big snowstorm. And my parents told me that I could not go to that show that night. So I said, All right. So I went over to my friend Jim uh, Schultz. We had the tickets, and um, and we drove. Of course, we drove over to Pittsburgh to he see stole the show. His
0: daddy's pickup truck. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. He had a, he had a Volkswagen Bug that was, you know, no, the heater was forget it, nothing. So we drove over there, freezing cold, and we watched Bow Wow, Wow. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Open up for uh, the police at. Uh, they were great. Yeah, and and I was just blown away. At that time, I had um I had seen a lot of concerts, but I had never seen musicianship like like you guys did. You know, I had seen I had seen Lover Boy and you know I didn't see Well he had some players.
0: Well yeah but but yeah I mean But it was all in the service of the song. Yes.
2: And you guys it was just uh it's just a whole different ball game. So uh thank you. Thank you for the music and, well, thank, and you. thank you for my, my first police show and then I didn't see you guys sorry
0: about the snow.
2: <laughs> well I disobeyed my folks I, I wasn't I wasn't a bad kid at all in high school I'd never ah, did.
0: Rock and roll will do that too, uh, yeah I wasn't
2: I didn't so you know that was minimal um, uh, trouble for my folks um, and then I didn't get to see you guys again until you played the reunion show at Dodger Stadium with the Foo Fighters opening oh yeah yeah it was that long and I, you know I it's just I don't know where the time goes but I, I just didn't get to see you guys life again. yeah life so I'm gonna play I'm gonna jump into synchronicity Also, I want to say that not only do I think that all of your studio albums with the police are are perfect, uh, I also love all the album cover artwork. I don't know how much you guys had... To do with that, not
0: much actually. But we were you, we were always disappointed in our. You room.
2: were always disappointed with it. I've seen some horrible album covers, and and I don't. I
0: mean, Zenyatta Mandato is one of the worst album <laughs> covers ever. The picture I actually of the three of us, you know, the three Mount Rushmore. Who? What were we thinking? Well, well, well we weren't thinking.
2: Well, you're somebody gonna, else was thinking. You're going to love that I brought uh, a vinyl copy uh, of my own for you to uh, sign for me. So sure. <laughs>
0: there. Well, the good thing about Zenyatta was that there's plenty of place to sign.
2: There is that synchronicity sucked. And and um, no, uh,
0: what was the other one? Ghost, Ghost in the, the Machine? Machines, Dark. Yeah, nowhere to sign. And on
2: Atlantis, uh, more is dark. They're all dark. Yeah, that's the best one to sign. We were dark. <laughs> I want to play from Synchronicity. I want to play uh, Miss Grandenko. that song?
0: It, who's Miss yeah, Grindenko? Yeah, actually, we do do that song with uh, with uh, Gizmo. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's a really fun song to play live.
2: And who is Miss Grindenko? Is that just... Miss uh,
0: Grindenko is a um, an official in the bureaucracy, and she wears a very tight uniform, and she's hot, but nobody's supposed to be hot in the bureaucracy. <laughs> there is no supposed to be anything such as sexuality. <laughs> but she's got it. And the, uh, the boss man, and he can't help it, and they're right there, and if they get caught... With any hanky-panky, they're both in the... more the, trouble. They're going to be trouble. Now, that song was turned into a movie, a short movie. What? And the dialogue, the script of the movie, was exactly the lyric. It did not depart by one word from the sung lyric of the song.
2: I wonder if that's on YouTube where we can look at the song. Uh, you can it. look
0: it up. I guess it's probably called Miss Gradenko. Yeah. But it's a totally shot-acted movie. It's not that long. Uh-huh. Um, but the first song is... Are you safe, Miss Gradenko? Are you safe? And she, well, you know, the whole because thing. Because the song's only two minutes. So I the know. Film, they, they figured out. Oh, no, but they, they don't do the song. Right, sure. They're speaking it. They're speaking and, and it. They, and the, the, the writer contrived a way of building scenes that would validate just those words. And
2: did they ask if you if
0: they, they could and do this? And said or? it in like a board meeting, you know, a big high-powered board meeting.
2: Do they ask you in advance if they can do this, or do they just do it and then you see it after the that, fact?
0: That, well, you can play a song, any song you want. Mm-hmm. You don't have to ask permission to play a song. But if you put it to picture, then you've got you to, the to talk to right the
2: All right, cool. All right. The new album is Gizmodrome. It's out there right now. You can get it uh, everywhere. Yeah. You can get it on Amazon. You can if get you it If you've got it on a iTunes. CD player,
0: yeah. you can get it in the store. But most of you probably don't have CD players. I my see. kids don't. I know. Neither do my but kids. But you can get it on vinyl. 'Cause the record company, Ear Music, in Germany, uh, they bought all the vinyl plants. So they own oh, vinyl. Perfect. So if CBS or I mean if Universal wants to bring out their Beyonce album mm-hmm. in vinyl, they gotta wait behind Gizmodrome. <laughs> and so we're out we're out on vinyl. There's
2: a Clark Kent song on Gizmodrome, Strange Things Happen. Couple. Yeah.
0: There's there's a
2: perfect though for this band. I really feel that 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 music is...
0: Well, those are kind of limbo, because those songs mm-hmm. were way after the Clark Kent period, mm-hmm. and somebody wanted to make an album and put a couple extra songs on it, and whatever songs I had in the cookie jar at that time went on to that album. Went onto that collection. Clark, it was a yeah. CD. It was as a Clark Kent. collected
2: works with yeah, a K collected. Yeah. So, Stuart was nice enough to give us two uh, copies of this that he'll sign for the listeners. I brought some police CDs, if you don't mind signing those for our listeners. Why, Sure. And uh, I'm going to give you a a couple of gizmodrome songs, and you can tell me what you'd like me to play out with. I've got Sweet Angels. I've got Stay Ready, Spin This. Spin This. Spin This. Thank you for your time. I know you're getting over this cold, and I really appreciate you inviting me out. This was great. So thank you so much. I hope you had fun.
0: I did. Thank you.
2: Okay, and here's Spin This.
0: back door to meet the elegant wife of that famous family values politician we've all seen
1: him on tv
0: in an awkward position we might just see him change his disposition but she's a trouble magnet sure, and she'll leave him in tatters just spell the name right that's all that matters news this morning said my own ex-wife has got a whole new team of hungry lawyers and they're looking for photos and looking for clues and they'll find what they need to put us in the news looking for clues That they got missed the sinister intent It was no chance event No matter how it went No shadow of lament No chance to relent Nothing could prevent us We burned down the whole circle's tent